Would you open your Bibles to the Psalms? Psalm chapter 36, verses 1 to 12. Psalm chapter 36, verses 1 to 12. And would you stand for the reading of God's Word? To the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love. O God, the children of man take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we pray that today, that as we consider the steadfast love of the Lord, that we would be freshly amazed and that we would be able to exclaim with the psalmist, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts today, that we would see you high and lifted up, and how you've demonstrated your love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that you would move us outward, that you would move us towards others in a self-giving sacrificial way for the benefit of others as we reflect the love of God towards us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we were working with our third grader, Hudson, on sentences. And so he was learning about the different kinds of sentences and their punctuation. And so he learned about the declarative sentence and how it just tells something and ends with a period. He learned about the exclamatory sentence, how it shows strong feeling and ends with an exclamation point. He learned about the interrogative sentence, how it asks a question and ends with a question mark. And he also learned about the imperative sentence, how it gives a command 
and it ends with a period or an exclamation point. And as we look at Psalm chapter 36, we see a bunch of declarative statements. Statements about the wicked, statements about the Lord, about his faithfulness, his kindness, his goodness, his justice. And really, that's where we want to focus today. David's songs, song is made up of three parts. Verses 1 to 4, examining the foolishness of the wicked. There's no fear of God. He thinks that he can do whatever he wants without God seeing it. He plots trouble and speaks lies. And instead of rejecting evil, he runs toward it. Secondly, exclaiming the goodness of the Lord in verses 5 to 9. We see the heights, the depths, the surety, the trustworthiness of God's character. That those who know the Lord find their refuge in Him. They find their satisfaction in Him. They delight on His goodness and feast on His goodness. They see and savor the preciousness of the love of God. And finally, in verses 10 to 12, entreating God for his continued care. David says, oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. So examining the foolishness of the wicked, and we see these declarative statements over and over and over. David just telling something about the wicked. We also see the declarative statements in the second section, verses 5 to 9, where he is telling something about the goodness of the Lord, the greatness of God, and also in entreating God for his continued care in the prayer section. He's asking the Lord. He's making statements to the Lord. But the center of the psalm is an exclamatory sentence. Verse 7, I want you to see it. David says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. I want us to focus there on this exclamatory sentence. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. David is making an emotional statement. The word precious means splendid, excellent, highly valued, glorious. David is declaring the glory of God in his steadfast love his kindness, his goodness towards the children of man. In the Old Testament, this word precious is used this way. How precious is the death of his saints. His thoughts, your thoughts, O God, are precious. The cornerstone is a precious cornerstone, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. So we see it's splendid, excellent, highly valued, glorious. 
In the New Testament, the word precious is used of the precious blood of Christ. When David speaks of steadfast love, he uses the Hebrew word chesed. And it's a covenant love. It's a selfless love. The love of God towards the children of man in a covenant way. In the Old Testament, there's one song that goes throughout the Old Testament. It's the song that the people of Israel sang, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. God's steadfast love is always connected to His goodness. It's an expression of goodness towards others. In Psalm 107, Verse 43, after declaring the glory of God's steadfast love from beginning to end, the psalmist says this, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Whoever is wise, let him keep watch over, attend to these things, Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let them be attentive. Let them consider diligently the steadfast love of the Lord. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, he prays for the church of Ephesus. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul wants the church at Ephesus and us by the Holy Spirit today to be strengthened in our inner beings that we may be able to comprehend by the power of the Spirit, by the grace of the Lord, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ, that we would know in an experiential way the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this message is about the love of God, how precious the love of God is, and Paul wants us to experience the love of God, to know the love of God, to be able to say with the psalmist, how precious is your love? And I would say many of us have not thought about how precious the love of God is. In fact, we might even wonder, does God even love me? How has God shown me that he loves me? And yet we'll see throughout the scriptures what the scriptures say about the love of God. 
I want, us to, I want to give us several definitions of God's love that will be helpful from some trustworthy theologians I think are really good. I also want us to look at what the Bible says about God's love. We're going to see four wonderful truths about the love of God. And then finally, I want us to consider four desires, longings that I have for all of us who are listening. So let's start with definitions. The love of God. What is the love of God? Wayne Grudem says this, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. The love of God is self-giving. God eternally gives of himself to others. Jack Cottrell says this in his book, What the Bible Says About God the Redeemer. Listen, God's love is his self-giving affection for his image-bearing creatures and his unselfish concern for their well-being that leads him to act on their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. I want to dig in on this definition right here because I think it's so good and comprehensive. Listen again to what Cottrell says. He says, God's love is his self-giving affection. A lot of times we don't think about affection, we think about action. Love is action, right? It's not feeling, it's action. And yet, Cottrell reminds us that God's love is his self-giving affection for his image-bearing creatures and his unselfish concern for their well-being that leads him to act on their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. God's action stems from his emotion, his affection for his creatures, for those that he has made. And he's acting for their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. John Frame says this, he says, God's love includes both affection and action, both feelings and deeds. The biblical emphasis is upon deeds, but the terms for compassion, pity, and mercy as aspects of God's love connote strong emotion. We've used a definition here before that God's love or love is is doing what is best for another person in light of eternity. I think we could say God's love is doing what is best and what is necessary and whatever it takes in light of eternity. What does the Bible say about God's love? I want us to see four wonderful truths. First of all, that God's love is an eternal love. It's an everlasting love. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this. John chapter 14, verse 31. 
But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. In chapter 15, verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. In chapter 5, verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that all that he himself is doing. In chapter 3, verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. We see that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And we learn that this love extends all the way back to eternity past. When Jesus says this in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he says this, Father, I desire, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. God's love is an eternal love within himself. Wayne Grudem says this, The eternal love of the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father, and both for the Holy Spirit makes heaven a world of love and joy because each person of the Trinity seeks to bring joy and happiness to the other too. This love is an eternal love that has existed within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever and it will exist forever. So it's within himself, but it's also towards his people. Psalm 103, verse 17 says this, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse three, the Lord appeared to him from far away I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. God's love is everlasting. And we see this in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Listen to what Paul says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. This love was within himself, and it overflowed out of himself into his creation. And God chose a people for himself to be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ that would be around the throne of Jesus forever. And in love, he predestined them for adoption as sons. To be in relationship with him forever. It's an eternal love. But secondly, God's love is a universal love. God loves all people. In Psalm 145, we see that God 
is merciful and kind. It says in verse 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, are you getting this? This is in the context of love. The expression of love, the demonstration of love. Jesus is saying that God demonstrates his love towards those who hate him. He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust that he cares for, he expresses love for everyone that he has made. And Jesus says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do, you not, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God's love is a universal love. He loves everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a general love that's universal. But God also has a special love that is covenantal. Let me give you an example. If you're a parent, you could say with confidence that you love all of the children that your child is friends with. You love to see them, you smile when you see them, you want the best for them, you're kind to them, you would take care of them, do whatever is needed. And yet, there is a difference in your love for your child. It's a special love. See, you have the capacity for a general love towards everyone and also a special love towards those who are yours, your children. And it's the same way with God. The God God's love is universal. He loves all in a general way and he cares for them and meets their needs. His mercy is over all. But there is a special love for his people that is a covenantal love and we're going to see in just a minute that is sovereign and saving and secure it's unbreakable and it's a different kind of love it's a unique love that he has for his people so God's love is eternal first of all God's love is a universal love secondly and number three God's love is a covenantal love there's a committed relationship of love that God has 
for his children. And notice, first of all, that this covenantal love is sovereign. We saw it in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, this sovereign love of the Lord. Let me show you one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. This is a sovereign love, a committed love. It's, it's free. The Lord is free to do as he pleases. And we see this back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 9, what that love looks like. Deuter- Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 9. He says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you, his affection on you, his affection that would move to action. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. The Lord loves you with an everlasting love. The Lord loves you with a love that that comes from himself. There was nothing in us that attracted God's love to us. He loved us because he loved us. This is a sovereign love and free love. It's according to God's good pleasure that he set his love on anybody. It's also a saving love. It's sovereign and a saving love. This love does something. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, The Apostle Paul says this, but God being rich in mercy, and this is right after he's saying you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were children of wrath. You deserve the wrath of God. The wrath of God was coming on you. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in mercy and according to the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive. He brought us forth from the dead. This is speaking of regeneration. 
new life being born again. And it's because of God's love for us, his mercy expressed towards us, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. By grace, you've been saved. It's a saving love. And it comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. John speaks about this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 10. In this, is, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. God loved sinners and sent his son to stand in the place of sinners and bear the wrath of God that was coming upon sins, to be our substitute. The incarnation, God, the, the Son of God taking on human flesh that he would live a perfect life under the law, go to the cross as the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and be our substitute. This is the demonstration of God's love. In fact, many theologians have said that the cross is the pulpit of God's love. He's proclaiming his love. God's love is a sovereign love and a saving love. Listen to what J.I. Packer says. God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners whereby having identified himself with their welfare, he has given his son to be their savior and now brings them to know and enjoy him in a covenant relationship. He brings them to know and enjoy him. His power brings about their salvation. His love brings about their salvation. Listen to also what R.C. Sproul says. The supreme expression of God's goodness is the love that saves sinners who deserve only condemnation, saving them, moreover, at the cost of Christ's death on Calvary. God's love is a sovereign love and a saving love, but it's also a secure love. This is the beauty for believers that God's love is a secure love. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. The Apostle Paul says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution 
or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is a secure love. We have absolute security in the love of God for us in Christ. John Frame says this, people sometimes ask whether God's love is unconditional. In one sense, God's love is conditional. For God declares conditions that must be met by those who are seeking his blessings. And some don't meet those conditions and receive eternal punishment. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They must obey the gospel. They must put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, some don't meet those conditions and receive eternal punishment. But when God loves someone in Christ before the foundation of the world, God himself meets the conditions so that that person will certainly be saved eternally. To those who belong to Christ, there are no further conditions. Nothing can separate us from his love. In that sense, God's saving love is utterly unconditional. I want you to think about this for just a moment. God requires perfection, perfect righteousness. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have kept the whole law. If we break the law at one point, we're guilty of the whole law. But we have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has met all the conditions of the covenant so that all who trust in Him are eternally secure in Him. When you fall short, remember that Jesus has kept the covenant. When you sin, remember Jesus has kept the covenant. He is the one that keeps you. It's His work on the cross. It's His finished work in His resurrection that proves that He kept the covenant and it was enough. You are eternally secure in Christ Jesus. So God's love is an eternal love. It's a universal love. It's a covenantal love. It's special. But finally, God's love is a proven love. It's been demonstrated. It's been shown. And it has been proven towards us. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, the Apostle Paul says this, for while we, will, we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, 
one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us. He demonstrates his love for us. He has proven his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you ever question the love of God, if you ever question whether God loves you, look at the cross because this is the demonstration. This is where God has proved his love for his people in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me wrap it up with four concluding desires I have for those who are listening. Number one, that you would be wise like the psalmist and that I would be wise like the psalmist says in Psalm 107 and attend to the things that you have heard diligently considering the steadfast love of the Lord. That you would attend to these things, that you would keep these things, that you would ponder these things with steadfastness, with diligence. Number two, that the Lord would grant you strength, divine strength, to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and, the no, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. We need the Lord's help to even comprehend how great the steadfast love of the Lord is for us. So ponder these things. Ask for divine strength to comprehend these things. And number three, that having considered what the Bible says about the love of God, and having comprehended it by the grace of God, that you and I would be freshly amazed and would be able to exclaim with King David, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. And number four, finally, that you and I would imitate God's love towards others in obedience to his word, and that we would, as Frame put it, be moved to both affection and action, both feelings and deeds. In John, 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, here's the command of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And in chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, he says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Let us love with affection and action, feelings and deeds. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us comprehend the great love that you have for us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that for those who have not yet put their trust in Christ, maybe today that you would open their eyes that they may see the glory of your love, the preciousness of your love demonstrated towards sinners. And that by grace, you would open blind eyes, that you would cause the dead to rise, the sinner to say, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and Christ is my only hope. And that you would, by grace, enable them to look to the Savior in faith and repentance and put their trust in him for eternal life. God, would you get the glory today through saving sinners? Would you get the glory today through encouraging your people to rest in your love, to imitate your love towards others? And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.